this podcast, you will hear interviews with the late, great Leonard Pierce, Grandad, and of course, Uncle Albert Buster Merrifield. So imagine that I'm doing the interviews now, and they're right here in the room with us. We welcome to the Only Fools and Horses podcast, Leonard Pierce. So, do you always talk like Grandad? I don't always talk like that. I don't Grandad, yes. You see, I had a Cockney accent when I was a kid, and I had to go to drama school and learn to get out of it. And I had to work like mad to get rid of it because mm. in those days you didn't have regional accents like yours. I mean, you couldn't have been on telly <laughs> with a voice like yours. You wouldn't have been allowed in the building. No, you wouldn't. No. That was an interview clip from 1984. Sadly, there's not many interview clips with Leonard Pierce available, but the moments from Only Fools and Horses will always live on, won't they? I can always remember a Wendy House. And also, uh, 40, that has to be my favourite line. For me, Grandad was absolutely fantastic. Okay, well, imagine now we're interviewing Buster Merrifield, Uncle Albert. We welcome to the Only Fools and Horses podcast, Buster Merrifield, Uncle Albert, how's it going? So is it true that your first gig as an actor was in Only Fools and Horses as Uncle Albert after you was a bank manager? That's right. Well, it's not exactly true that I went straight into this because uh, uh, I left the bank and uh, went into show business and within a week I was in rep, that sort of thing. And I went on for about five years before I got my break in television. I was in The Citadel and Shroud for a Nightingale. But then, whilst in pantomime at uh, Windsor, I got the call to ring the BBC about uh, being in Fools and Horses. Shock of my life. It must have been really nerve-wracking. This is one of your first jobs as an actor, and you're on the set of Only Fools and Horses. Well, you can imagine. I mean, uh, David and Nicholas, probably two of the most experienced television actors, and to be thrown in the deep end with them, I was absolutely like that. Terribly nervous. And on the first recording, uh, I recall, uh, I forgot my lines. Oh! And when I made an exit, I went round backstage and I was walking up and down, you've blown it. This was your big chance and you've blown it, you've forgotten your lines. But uh, I didn't appreciate, as I do now, that in recording, uh, you, you could go through it again. But I went back, white as a sheet, <laughs> and David Jason, he knew that uh, it had upset me for forgetting the line. And do you know, the very next line, he forgot. <laughs> But uh, instead of reacting like me, the audience who laughed, he just turned around to them and said, I don't know what you're laughing, laughing at. He said, you got in here for nothing. <laughs> keep quiet. Now, what a difference in the reaction. And I know in my heart that he did that deliberately uh, to bring me a little comfort or easing me in, as it were. And I think that says a lot about David. Buster Merrifield with an interview clip from the BBC archives from 1994. So many great moments as Uncle Albert during the war. And probably my favourite moment from him comes from Rodney Comes Home, when Rodney is going to take out this girl Tanya to the pictures to see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And David Jason Delboy is trying to get Uncle Albert to make Rodney ashamed of this. And he keeps going, A girl? I think with this next interview, this would probably be one of my favourite interviews if it ever could have happened. Sadly, Roger Lloyd Pack passed away a few years ago now. But yeah, imagine we're interviewing Trigger on the Only Fools and Horses podcast. 
We welcome to the Only Fools and Horses podcast, Roger Lloyd Pack. How's it going? So, what do you think it is about the show that makes it so special after all these years? Yeah, well, it's uh, well, it's a testament to the the power of this program, isn't it? That thirty years after it, we started doing it, it's still as popular as it ever was. It, it, indeed, it could be said to be more popular than it ever was. And that's quite astonishing, really. Yes, it's definitely the nation's favourite sitcom, without a doubt. So. This is a very hard question, and I doubt you'll be able to answer it, but if you could, what's your favourite moment as Trigger? I know this is very difficult. Well, I don't know. I've got lots of highlights. Obviously, the falling through the bar sequence was particularly special because it was work. It's been a long time working it out, and it's been you know, a very uh, particular little episode, been very famous and sort of won prizes and things. So, obviously, that. But there are lots of lovely moments. Yeah, you can't beat the falling through the bar scene. So, Roger, what can you tell us about John Sullivan? Absolute legend, sadly passed away now. Only Fools and Horses will always live on, won't it? Well, it lives on in the work he's done, and I'm very sorry that he's not here with us to to continue to share it with us and uh, write us more lovely stuff. No, I miss him. It's very sad, his, his, his passing. Roger Lloyd Patler speaking for iFilm London, which I believe was a few years ago at a convention, well, longer than a few years ago now, because it's been about eight years since his sad passing. But yeah, Trigger had so many great moments in Only Fools and Horses, didn't he? And Roger Lloyd Pack really brought that character to life with his deadpan style. My favourite moment from Trigger? Oh, there's quite a few, isn't there? I'll just pick a couple. When Rodney's having a baby and they're trying to decide the name for the baby. And then uh, Trigger's like, they're going to name him Rodney after Dave. (laughs) And another one has to be uh, Mother Nature's son. When Dale's trying to get rid of this gunge. Uh, Yeah, and he takes it to the recycling centre where Trigger works. And Delboy says, I thought you told me this recycling centre was open 24 hours a day. And then Trigger replies, yeah, but not at night. There's so many actors we would have loved to have spoken to on the Only Fools and Horses podcast, but sadly, so many of them have passed away. That's why I've put together this little podcast. Unfortunately, there's not many interview clips available with the rest of the cast. I was looking for interview clips with Mike, the barman, and I can't find them anywhere, which is sad. And and many other actors that have been on the show. But our last interview comes from John Chalice. This is actually an interview I did uh, many years ago at Meridian FM. That's my local radio station in East Grinstead. Yes, I have a listen to this. It was lovely speaking to John. And it, it was very sad when he passed away, wasn't it? I mean, it just came out of nowhere. And I was actually going to meet him when he was going to be performing in Checkermead at his one-man show, Being Boise. Yeah, and we were going to do an interview at my local pub. I was really looking forward to this, and it would have been lovely to meet him. But, uh, yeah, very sad, wasn't it? So this is an interview I did with John um, a few years ago. When you first got the part of Boise in Only Fools and Horses, did you yeah. realise you were on for something special? No, I didn't I, at all. I, um, I, you know, I've been in a previous John Sullivan series, uh, Citizen Smith. He said he liked what I did. I played a sort of bent copper in, the, in that one. Um, and I said, well, that's very nice of you to say so. But I didn't, I didn't know anything else was going to happen. The following year, that I was busy flirting with America, because right, I'd done a couple of plays in America, and I thought that's where the future lay. And, and uh, I'd run out of money, so uh, 
I so I thought, oh well, I'll just do one more thing, and and that was it. It was an episode of the, the first series of Only Fools and Horses, and it was just one scene, one day's filming. And when I got the script, I just it made me laugh, you know, straight away. And I thought, oh, I really would like to do this part. And I did that, and it was funny. And I met David and Nick, and uh, so on. Nobody again, nobody said anything. Nobody said any anything about the character continuing in the show. And so I sort of forgot about it. In the following year, oh, what was that? I suppose. Um, I suppose I was at the National Theatre then, doing a play at the National Theatre, for heaven's sake. And they said, oh, come and do an, um, an episode in the second series of Only Fools and Horses. At this time, the character was featured quite heavily in, uh, in a show called Losing Streak, and uh, Boise had to play poker with Dell. Oh, I remember that one. You know, and it's, it's been shown quite a lot recently, I think, and um, a lot of people's favourite people's favorite shows. And then it went, then it went on, and the third series came along, and would I do another episode? And I said, well, yeah, I'm having such a good time. It's such a funny show. Um, of course I will. And it grew from there. And it was, it wasn't until about 1985, I suppose, about the fourth year we'd done it. You thought, I mean, this really does look good. It looks like it's got legs, you know, and a lot of people were coming up to you in the street and so on, and you thought, ooh, we're really onto something here. And luckily, of course, it went on all through the 80s, right up until a few gaps. But the last show's in 2001, which is 20 years. Amazing. Incredible. Fantastic show. And, yeah, one of the most successful TV shows ever. And there was even talk about them scrapping it at one point, wasn't there, after the first series? Yeah, that's right. Because he didn't, uh, the first series actually didn't do very well for those days. I mean, there were only three channels on the telly. And, and I think he did about six or seven million or something, you know, which today would be very good. But in those days, it wasn't considered very good at all. And so they sort of put it on a on the back shelf somewhere and they've forgotten about it. Uh, but then there was a strike at the BBC. They had to repeat stuff. So they thought, oh, we'll just put this out again, you know. And they put it out a different time, different place. The word of mouth had got around and the figures went up by about two and a half million. And they thought, oh, hello, something. Perhaps we're going to do a second series. So, I mean, it could, I don't know. I mean, no way of knowing, but it could have happened that it might have got completely forgotten after that first series, which is an extraordinary thought, really. Yeah. You know, because it, it changed everybody's life, really. I mean, particularly the performance, you know. It was a wonderful wonderful uh, thing to be involved in, very lucky, really. So what was it like to work with John Sullivan? What was he like to work with? Well, he was a great uh, perfectionist, John. I mean, he would work very often scripts for very late. And, you know, particularly when we were doing um, the, the early ones, the half-hour episodes. And I remember one uh, one time I was, I was doing one episode and... Um, the director said to, we were waiting for a scene with the scene, with the scene this episode, came sort of a few pages for the next episode, which, which we had to start doing the following week, because all the episodes were done in a week, see. And he looked down and said, oh, oh crikey, John, John, are you available next week? And, uh, and I was, he said, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> you know, because, and suddenly, because nobody had said, oh, you're in the next week's episode, because the pages suddenly turned up during the week you were doing the previous episode. And, and that's how you knew. And sometimes, of course, people weren't available next week because they didn't know they had a job. And so so then the pages had to go back and they had to rewrite it. You know, but it was really sort of flying by the seat of our pants in a lot, in a lot of ways because John was, uh, as I say, a great perfectionist and uh, he wouldn't let a script go until he got it absolutely right, which is admirable. And uh, he'd sit in on rehearsals and, uh, and change things during rehearsals as well. And he had a real sort of crackle to it, you know, because of that sort of uncertainty the whole time, I think, anyway. What would you say is your favourite scene from Only Fools and Horses that you've been in? Oh, oh, God, that's so many of them. I suppose the seance scene in uh, Sickness and Wealth, that's what it was. Sitting round the table in a room at the top of the, um, on top of the pub, 
Yeah. And there's a seance. Dell's trying to reach his mother or something, and uh, Elsie Partridge, the medium, finds somebody else. Or, and there's a message for somebody called Aubrey, and, um, and nobody knows who it is. And then uh, Boise says, I am here. And, uh, and that's how you find out what it is. Yeah, because so, he, he never would have said, would he? <laughs> no, no, no. No, no he says like the that. trigger, he said, yeah, well, you wouldn't say anything if, if that was your name, would you? No. <laughs> of course not. No, Aubrey. <laughs> and the, uh, the Batman and Robin scene where uh, they've stopped the mugging and they, they think they're going to a fancy dress party and uh, Boise lets them in, but doesn't tell them that the bloke whose party was supposed to be died that morning and it is now awake. Yeah. So he's full of mourners. And they burst and he shows them into the room dressed as Batman and Robin. Into this room! The boy he knows perfectly well, and he knows what's going to happen, and uh, he doesn't tell him. And, and if, um, if I remember rightly, he says, the Joker, doesn't he? Yes, that's right. Yes, right. Del Boy says, um, yeah, look, 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 look at Boise. You know, we've come dressed as Batman and Robin, and he's only come as the Penguin. <laughs> and Boise says, no, no, Del Boy, not the Penguin, more like the Joker. And, uh, and then he says, uh, he says, the room's in there. And uh, <laughs> it's just hilarious. A brilliant piece of uh, writing that. Love you, I know it's amazing. It's phenomenal, isn't it? The way it's it's lasted, and uh, and all generations seem to pick up on it. Um, it's extraordinary, really. And, uh, um, I was talking to some people today, and there's some who came along with a couple of young kids, you know. And uh, I mean, they're potty about it. Absolutely potty about it. I mean, uh, today is it all, all those television shows? No, no, it's only only for sources. You know, they really love the characters, and so it's very good. We're very proud of it. That's what's great about it, though, isn't it? Because young kids like it, older people like it. It's really... Uh, yes, and all the whole families introduce, uh, introduce their kids to it, and then they grow up, and uh, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. What, what I love about it is because it's so funny one minute, and the next minute it's really serious, isn't it? Or, like, yes, yes, that's right. I mean, you know, John Sullivan always wrote from the heart, you know, and he wrote about people's lives, and so... I think that's why people can identify with it because he, he's just right. He's a fact. He was a very strong family man, you know, and uh, and he knows what it is to sort of grow up the way he did in South London and then uh, have his own family. And he was so proud. Um, one of the last times I spoke to him uh, before he died, uh, he just got his first grandchild, you know, and and he was just he just said, "Oh God, compared with that, I mean, nothing that is, you know, it's just wonderful." He was so over the moon about it. Uh, it was wonderful. So it's very sad, very sad that he uh, he should go so early. Uh, still, he's left uh, left a wonderful legacy behind. I think. We've got some half-price crack ties, some miles and miles of carpet tiles, TVs deep freeze, and David Bowie LPs, pool games, gold chains, wuss names, and Edda Push, and Trevor Francis track suits from a mush and shepherd's bush. Bush, 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 bush. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices at a straw. Street. Same man defeat, Bookie Street. 